0: All right, good morning, church. Good to see you guys take out your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 2. And um, this morning we're going to get started on a, a two-week series. I have a lot to download this morning, so you guys are going to have to listen really, really fast, okay? So we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. Um, I'm going to um, just basically unpack Genesis, a principle from Genesis 1. We're going to be at Genesis 2. And then I'm going to read a part of Exodus 20 and Hebrews 4 in just a second. So while you try to rattle in your try, try to um, uh, organize everything I just said to you for a second, let me let me uh, let you know about a couple of things coming up that I want you to be a part of. The first thing is on November the 20th, which is a Sunday, at two o'clock in the afternoon, right here in this room. We are going to have a biblical counseling 101 class. Okay. Um, the, the guy that's coming to do the training is our number one top pick, five-star, deluxe. Uh, he is coming to do the 101 training. Now, you know that we want to be a church that's a haven of hope and healing for the hurting in our world. And the hurting in our community right now, And of all the hurts, the big ones are anxiety, depression, mental illness. All of that is on up to the right in all of America. And it's because God is becoming less We are becoming more transient and we're more lonely than we've ever been. And we have these devices in our face that are doing effects in our brain we don't know yet. We're the experiment. And so when you put those three things together, our culture is going to get colder and colder with these things. And it's core to a human being. And yet the church is here and we have answers to all of those things. And we can help people who are struggling um, because we have answers. But we need to be prepared as a church in the coming days to be like a warm campfire in a cold cold world. That God would use us in this way. Amen? But our goal is to have everyone at Bannockburn, every member of Bannockburn trained in the 101 of biblical counseling. This doesn't mean that you are becoming a counselor, like sit in an office and counsel someone over deep issues. No, you are a part of the counseling process because counseling is discipleship. It's the same thing. It's about helping people come fully into the knowledge of Christ and what he provides them in their lives and and all of that. So 101 is a critical thing, and I'm asking you to come and be a part of that. If you have come to past 101s, this one is going to be uh, the 101 we did here last year. Um, This one's going to be different. I would encourage you to come again, although you still have credit for your 101 from the last one. That's fine. But this one we're going to record, and we're going to make it an online training for every member so you can do it on your own time even uh, from this day forward. But would you help me at least get a studio audience here? Um, for the 101, for Dr. Babler, who is coming in, and let me just give you a little bit about him, Chairman of Biblical Counseling Department and Professor of Biblical Counseling at Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. He also serves on the Board of Trustees for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. He is the guy we would pick, and he's going to be here, so please come and help me um, have a studio audience here for him so that we can record this really well. Uh, He'll be doing that training. November the 20th, just a few weeks from now, 2 o'clock, right here in this room, go eat lunch, come back and enjoy about an hour and a half to two hours max is what you're looking at. So please help me bring a friend with that. I think it'll be really great. Okay, church, one thing I want to mention, next Sunday, last week was our commitment Sunday. Amen. It was awesome time of worship with you. Next week is Celebration Sunday. We're going to do a couple of things next Sunday. The first thing I need you to know is that if you pledged to the Forward campaign, thank God for you, thank you for being a part of it with us. The giving campaign starts next week, so November 13th will be our first giving week. If you would like to give a First Fruits gift on that day, great, however you structured your pledge is fine, but if you could give a gift on the first Sunday, we would really appreciate that. We have about a quarter of a million dollars of stuff that we're going to have to do up front before the building, even, before we even break ground. So if you could help us knock some of that out, we pay cash for that and not have to get loans and all that stuff to pay off, that would be awesome. So next week is a First Fruits Give a Gift if you'd like. We are also going to celebrate our number. Um, we're continuing to get cards. We really like where we are right now. I'm, we are in really great shape, um, but cards are coming in. If you wanted to be a part of the Forward Campaign and contribute to that and have not yet, please get a card this morning, and fill that out for us. Um, it's a three-year pledge. Turn it into the offering boxes in the four year. We will take that and connect that to the whole, and we will celebrate that all next Sunday. So you got it? We're going to celebrate next Sunday. Um, the one other thing I wanted to say is just go vote. Go vote. When I talk about work here in just a second, I'm also talking about even, even voting. You get the opportunity and the privilege to govern our nation. And the one opportunity you get to govern is in the voting booth. And so take advantage of that opportunity. Make your contribution to our country for its welfare and flourishing. Go and vote this, it's this week, right? Sorry, I'm a terrible pastor. Sorry about that. Yes, it is this week. I just had a brain melt and I thought, is it this week? What are you saying? Yes, it is this week. Okay, good. So uh, go ahead. If you haven't already, please go and, and uh, do that. All right, let me find out where I am. Okay. Okay. Um, This fall, if you haven't noticed, um, one of the privileges I have a pastor is trying to set sort of the diet of the family of God, you know, our our, our word diet each Sunday. And um, I felt very strongly that as a church family, we needed to look this whole fall about how the gospel should shape very practical uh, areas of our life. You remember in August we started off with Circles, a series called Circles, and we talked about how does the gospel shape our friendships? How do we structure friendships in our life um, if we're living a gospel-centered life, a Christ-centered life? How should we think about friendships? And so we did that. And then we started talking about the home. How, as gospel-centered, Christ-centered people, should we structure our homes and think about our homes when it comes to honoring Christ and living for him in our homes? Um, and we did that for several weeks. And now we're going to talk briefly, a couple of weeks, about what does it look like? What lenses should we think should we use to think about how our about our work, our professions, our careers? How as a Christ-centered, as a Christ follower, being biblically centered in life, how am I to think about and structure and approach work? Profession, career, vocation. How are we to think about those things? Well, I'm going to reference Genesis 1 and the Adamic mandate there when God tells Adam to do certain things and it's for all of us to play into. And then what I want to do this morning is I want to read from Genesis 2, Exodus 20 and Hebrews 4 and what you're going to see the theme of these texts is about Sabbath keeping. From a gospel lens, this is the way we think about Sabbath keeping, and it's going to play a part of the way we think about the role of work. Okay, so we're going to combine all of those things together. Let me read. Genesis chapter 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Exodus 28 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is God's word. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to guide our meditations here. Father, we just commit ourselves to you on this day, a day of rest, a day of worship, a day that's for you. We have put a parenthesis in our lives. And we turn our hearts, our souls, our minds vertical. And we seek to receive from you, Lord. So from your word, would you shape us, give us the lenses, the perspective of our work. And let us engage in work to the glory of Christ. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen. When we think biblically about our work, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. The very beginning, and you have to discover what's it all about, because Genesis 1 to 3 is the place where you go when you really want to know how the world works, or at least begin the search to know how the world works around us. Um, It's the whys and the hows of the foundations of understanding the world around you. It all starts in Genesis 1 to 3. Why are things the way they are, and how does it work? A couple of questions that get answered in Genesis 1 to 3, where did we come from? It's a good question to ask. Uh, it's, it's important for a worldview, for you to know where you came from. Uh, why do we exist? Why were we made? What is our makeup? How were we made? What were we made to do? Why do we wear clothes? Interesting, isn't it? I always get a chuckle. You know, you think about it. All the other animals on the earth, there's no other animals that clothe themselves. The dogs, you do it, not, not, not them. You do that to them, okay? But why do we wear clothing? It's interesting. Have you ever asked that? I'm not arguing that we shouldn't you know, or any of that kind of thing. I'm saying, no, we should. <laughs> yes, certainly you put those clothes on, for sure. Uh, but why do we exist? What is wrong with the world And why is humanity the way it is? One to three. Genesis one to three. So when it comes to a proper perspective of our work, we really have to go to Genesis. And today we start a two-week series on work. At first I want to lay some theological foundations about work. And I know if I were to involve you in my exegesis and my hermeneutical processes of getting in the text, we would be here till midnight tonight, Okay. So, can you appreciate that I'm just going to take you to the end application point? Amen? Can we do that? Okay. I, normally, I will unpack a text for you, but today, you're just going to get the bottom line. All right? And so, just walk with me through this and let's do this together. And hopefully, we'll be out here by lunch. All right. First thing you need to know work is sacred. Work is sacred. Work is a part of our, Im- our divine image bearing. When God makes, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And here's the bottom line for all of that. Humanity, it's not just Christians. This is a human being. Represents God and his authority and his attributes on the earth more than any other person or creation on creation. It's like when a ruler or a king takes over power and he puts a statue of himself in the street for people to see. It's a representation of the ruler and his rulership over all. We are that statue of God. God made us and the language used is to say that humanity is my image on the earth, my representative image bearer to display me and my rulership on the earth. And so in Genesis, the language is used that we have this responsibility and authority over the earth. God has given us authority over the earth. The other thing that we see is that when God is a, a God who works, we have Genesis 1, a God with dirt under his fingernails. Um, we have a God who works. Now, it says create, but but the same word, work. Um, so it's not just artists that create. Okay, y'all get me? Work is creation. And it says that God works. And created out of nothing, uh, it's, it's basically the, the word bara in the Hebrew. Let me just take you down this passage a second, just walk with me. And the b- word bara is the assumption it's made out of nothing, because it's only used three times in the Old Testament, and it's used in Genesis as God bara, but every time it's used, the Hebrew term, it's only God does it. When it's using terms about man, it's using work and rearranging material and things like that, and taking what already exists and fashioning it in certain ways. So, only God barat. By the way, some of y'all will preach this. Psalm 51, when David is saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God, that's the third time it's used. Only God can create a clean heart. Amen? That was free. Put that in your pocket and proclaim it to the ends of the earth, all right? Uh, Work is sacred. We are made in the image of God. So, here's God working. Here's God putting creation, and he's saying it's good. He's naming his creation, he's saying it's good. And he made man, and and he puts man on the earth, and um, man creates. Man is made to work. Now, let me back up. Eastern religions, all, all religions have, uh, most religions have a creation uh, account. And what they have is a verbal passed down tradition from humanity, from Adam on, and then it's been corrupted. And so the, the, they have a version of creation story that's not right. Genesis sets the record right in the Hebrew Bible. And, and so they have a version of it, but the version in the East would be something the effect of The gods came, and they created humanity to sort of serve them while they're in a luxury resort. They don't have, the gods don't have to work. We get to just enjoy the fruit of the labor of humanity. That's the idea in the Eastern religions. That's what you'll see. And then on the West Side, on the Greek mythology, when, in uh, the, the Roman pantheon, what you'll see is work is a part of the curse. Uh, Pandora's box was opened. If you know the story, one of the evils that came out of Pandora's box was work labor human labor and so in one sense it was um the gods made us to work because they didn't want to work and the other sense its work is now a curse upon us and only the judeo-christian worldview says no god is a worker and he created us to work and that is part of our divine image bearing that god is a worker a creator and he made you to work and to create um and so what we see him give adam is a, a mandate a mandate to fulfill on the earth, a work to do, and it was good. Marriage was set up to support the work. Be careful with the way you view marriage. Our culture would say marriage is like a big Christmas gift. It's all wrapped in pretty, and it has all your hopes and dreams and satisfies you, and it's everything you've ever wanted in this relationship called marriage, and it's all about your personal fulfillment. You get in this marriage, it's going to fulfill. And that's not what marriage is really meant to do at all. Um, Marriage actually is only understood in light of a higher goal that marriage is serving. God gave marriage as an assistant to us to fulfill his purpose in our life, which is the work, the purpose of God for our lives on the earth. And that makes marriage make a lot of sense. Because there's opposites attract and then opposites attack, right? Well, why would we be opposites? Because God is making, is fulfilling all the gaps and the opposite things that I don't have and he's making the work greater. And he's making me greater. He's sanctifying me into the person he wants me to be and he's given me someone to help me fulfill my purpose for my life, which is the work that he's called me to do. And if I understand marriage in that light, I understand that some of it's not gonna be very rewarding and some of it's not gonna be fulfilling. In fact, some of it might be a little painful. Sanctification is not a nice and rosy coast down a stream uh sanctification is sandpaper baby it's uh and you got to know marriage is there to fulfill those purposes and so you understand the frustrations of marriage a little and be more accepting of it because of the purpose of marriage but if you view marriage as a satisfaction of all these things now marriage is incredibly rewarding and incredible fulfilling but to say that it is for my personal fulfillment is to put an undue pressure on marriage because it was not created to do that for you Got it? All right. Had to make that point, even though it has nothing to do with work. What well, kind of. But I had to get that in there. All right. Next, work is good. Work is good. Um, even your own body tells you work is good. I, uh, Todd Algar, where are you? Y'all normally sit over there. Anyway, maybe he's not here today. Sorry, Todd, I threw you under the bus. Um, anyway, but Todd was telling me about a comedian who said, that your brain, he said. The comedian's whole thing is about uh, your brain is a jerk, right? It's like to unpack that. What do you mean? He says, well, you know, you, all those all those uh, chemicals that you you really want to feel like Superman, Superwoman, um, really, your body has all of them: dopamine, adrenaline, um, endorphins. You know, all your body has all of it stored up, all of it ready to go, and it can unleash it at any time. All you got to do is ask it, right? That's what the comedian says. So ask your brain, brain, I'd really love some of those endorphins. Uh, make me feel good today. How about, you know, bring them on. What your brain says is, oh, how about a little jog? Right? <laughs> and you're like, no, I don't want to hear that. Just, can you just give it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't do it until you actually go and push your body in uh, physical exertion, and then it begins to get the endorphins to reward you. You say, I want the dopamine. You know, it says, well, how about let's get something done today? How about let's cross some of those, bo- those boxes on the checklist of your to-do list? How about you actually do something, and I'll reward you with some dopamine hits, right? Dopamine is a part of that. When you get guys, you finish your yard, and you, you cut your yard, and it looks all good, you stand back, and you go, man, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> you know what that is? It's dopamine. Your body is saying, good boy, good boy. You're awesome, all right? When you do a good job at work, and the boss tells you you've done good, you know what? Dopamine, boom, right? When we bring people on the platform and we go, listen to what they did. They went the extra mile. They served us and they did this and they made sacrifices and you applaud them and they, and they feel the good job. You know what that happens? Dopamine, um, it, it enforces things. It rewards you. It's fulfilling. It's good. Even your body will not produce those chemicals until you are exerting yourself physically and doing something. Or of accomplishing something or needing to accomplish something you can't do and you need adrenaline. Your body tells you God made you to work. God made you to do. God made you to serve. God made you to contribute. Uh, And when you do, even your own body rewards you. Um, So listen, work, work is good. And work is good for you. You were made to work. And so... The next work is worship. Work is worship. God in Genesis 1 said to Adam, fill the earth. In other words, create families, create societies, cities, um, create cultures and nations all over the earth. And here's what that means. That when the earth is covered with the flourishing of humanity on the earth... It's the radiating of the glory of God. The way that you look at mountain ranges and you think, look at God. Well, God wants the humanity covering the earth and flourishing and beauty to be a representation of his glory. So you are meant to work toward the flourishing of humanity on the earth. And to and make your contribution to the flourishing of humanity on the earth. And as you do, you are doing that for the glory of God. And there's rewards to it. And that's what the work is. And so what we mean by work is worship is when you are contributing to this effort, you are doing what God commanded us to do as a human being. And that contribution is a part of his work of his glory. And so work is Worship. And obeying God, and actually, it says God put Adam uh, put the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. Actually, it's the the Hebrew term that means to serve and obey. It's the same word, but it, it can be translated into work the ground and manage the garden and all of that. But it actually uses words that were to serve and obey God. To work, to serve, obey God in the mandate that He's given us as humanity. How are uh, how are we contributing? To the taking created materials, forming those materials, serving humanity for the flourishing of humanity on the earth. That is the question you ask when you think about your work. How am I contributing to humanity? It says to subdue the earth, meaning to harness its resources, take what is in existence and work it to the fashioning to produce human flourishing. So produce more food so that more humans can eat, so that more humans can work toward this thing called the human flourishing on the earth for the glory of God. And this is the picture of what we're in the middle of trying to accomplish on the earth. Y'all with me? Okay. One significant point I want to insert right here. We do not seek work for a paycheck first. We seek work to contribute to the vision of God on the earth for his glory, paycheck comes from him. We don't look to work to provide for our needs, although that that will happen and that's fine. But it's a byproduct. It's not our motivator. And why is that significant? Let Let me tell you why that's significant. If you had a choice... Of a contribution being this big, like your con- contribution to the flourishing of humanity being this big, but the pay is this big, and then another choice that your contribution is this big, but the pay is this big, which one should you pick? Contribution. Why? Because I'm thinking biblically about my work. What is a paycheck? A reward. Where does it come from? Him. He'll provide for what I need. This is the way that we're thinking about what is the largest contribution I can make with the way God made me? Who is there a need around me? Is there something I have? Intellect. Some of you have the intellect to be able to create very large companies that produce a lot of wealth and it creates a lot of jobs for a lot of human beings to get dignity and work. And you should do that. If you have the ability to do it, you have the context to do it, you have the education you need to do it, you need to do that. You need to create jobs. And you know what? You're just in the middle of God's work for your life as a preacher. And you need to do it. Create human flourishing. You say, I want to attack joblessness. Well, then create jobs. Be a part of that solution. Why? Flourishing of humanity on the earth. We were made to work. I want to create a lot of opportunities for other people to work. Well, a lot of people aren't gifted to that level to be able to create jobs like you can. Maybe they were more to actually do some specific type of work. Okay, so work is our mandate, work is good, work is good for us. This is the way we're going to think about our jobs, our careers. And I know, at the end of this series, many of you are probably going to change careers. (laughs) Except the staff at this church. Y'all are not allowed, it's not God's will. So, as long as that's been said, no. But, But here's what, the goal for this series, I hope, is that you think about the work that you do. And you think about it differently. And it might change the way you approach it. And it might change the way that you're fulfilled. Next, work is cursed. Work is not the curse. Work has been corrupted. A good thing has been corrupted. And you need to understand how so that you understand why. And then you understand how to navigate it better. According to Genesis 3, God says the ground is cursed. Adam, because of this. In other words, by the sweat of your brow and the thorn. Now, if you think about it, all work, the first however thousands of years humanity's been here has been agriculture, uh, farming, construction, mostly, taking the material goods and building and creating habitations for humans and eat food, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the work is physical labor for thousands of years, it's physical labor, and Now that physical labor is going to have literally thorns, like you can't, you don't have tractors and plows, like you don't touch the stuff. Back in the day, it was like I had to get this stuff up to root it, to to plow, to plant seed and thorns and all kinds of stuff is going to be prickling at me and it's going to create all kinds of pain. There is not a job on the planet that will not have thorns, little sources of pain and anxiety. And no, it's not just the co-workers you have. It's every work, everywhere. Uh, any job that you do, Christy showed me a picture this morning of two of my college roommates um, at the University of Mobile, and they are on the, grand, on, the, on the field at the World Series yesterday in Houston. One of them is an executive, uh, a former player, got double A, and now he's an executive with the Houston Astros. He was with the Yankees, but he got to the Astros somehow, I don't know. The other one was a, a pitcher who won the World Series with the Phillies, 2006 I think it was he was the winning pitcher of the winning game of the World Series and both of them were my roommates and they're my claim to fame y'all so there you go I'm famous all right so anyway uh, but I see a picture of them on the thing and I know good and well they'll complain about their jobs I know good and well why there's not a job you play for a living you play and make millions and you're complaining about your job right that's what you think right Big old guys complaining about the millions they make. Man, they don't strike because they want a little more whatever. Like you go, they're complaining about their job. If they complain because there's some pain involved with it, I'm telling you there's not a job on the planet that doesn't have a thorn. You're just going to have to know that. And the reason you need to know that is don't think there's some better one out there that doesn't have a thorn. They all have thorns. All jobs have anxieties and pains and pressures and frustrations. All of them. All of them. So it's cursed. It's cursed. Okay, quick question. How do you find a career? How do you find a career? Clay Barton gave me this years ago. Y'all know Clay, right? Okay. Uh, Gave me this diagram. I want y'all to, this is so funny. Um, If we have it. There we go. All right. So here's the three things you need to ask when you're looking at a career. I'm good at it. I enjoy it. And they'll pay me to do it. So you got to have the opportunity, right? You know? So... If you're good at it and you enjoy it, but they won't pay you to do it, that's a hobby. And it's okay to have a hobby, have a hobby, but don't make it a career, right? Your contribution can be through a hobby, yes, but if you really want a pretty good one, you probably need to think about something that there's an opportunity in front of you that you can actually make some money with, okay? Um, If you are good at it and they'll pay you to do it, but you don't enjoy it, that's a job, right? And we all have to have a job every once in a while, just because... You know, you do a job. But should we long-term think of our career in the sense of a job that we don't enjoy? I don't know. But then you say, "I they'll pay me to do it and I'm good at it. Or no, they'll pay me to do it and I enjoy it, but I'm not good at it. You're about to be unemployed, all right? So you shouldn't be doing something you're not good at, right? Okay, that's good. But I said, you know what? This is really great. It just helps you think about If you're thinking about the purpose of God for your life in your work, this is a great pattern to follow. Some of y'all need to take pictures of it and send it to your college kid right now. I I sent this to my college kid who's graduating, and I said, hey, this is is nice. Think about it this way. You pull all those things together, and there might be a a red triangle. There may be 35 of them in your life of opportunities and things that you could probably pursue. Um, And so it's a great little tool to help you with that. But here's the thing, because work is cursed, next point, work can be an idol. Because of the fall, we make two drastic errors about work. We view work, first of all, as a curse itself. And you say, well, how? what kind of problem is that? Because I don't see work as a curse. Well, here's, here's the mindset of work is a curse. I work so that I don't have to work anymore. But that's unbiblical. I want to make enough money so that I never have to work another day in my life. You're treating work as a curse. You're treating work as something that's bad and you want to avoid it at all costs. Work is good. You should never have a day in your life, I'm really sorry retired people, you should never have a day in your life where you stop working and contributing to the vision of God for humanity to flourish on the earth for his glory. Never ever in a day. Now that doesn't mean you don't, you know step down from one job and move to a different type of contribution and maybe you can do that contribution for free great all that's good but to think of retirement as I'm going to lay on the beach and drink martinis in Cancun the rest of my life while people serve me now that's hell that's hell to a Christian that is not biblical that's a rest time rejuvenate rest your soul rest your body great get back to it though You should think about your life making a contribution to others, serving others, and doing that. So if you win the lottery, put it in the bank, great, use it as extra, give it away, but still work. Still work, because work is so good for you. So um, work can be an idol, and the other way is this. Work is my God. So work is a curse to avoid at all costs, and then work is a God, and I can't seem to live without it. Now, that's another error we get because of the curse. And that's why you have the law written in Exodus 20 revealing the idol of me being my own source of my own income and me having to take care of me. And so work can become part of of our God. Um, Three ways work becomes an idol. Let me give you these quickly. I'm telling you, I'm speeding up, so you all listen fast. You all with me? All right, let's go fast. First, we seek work to give us our identity and significance. We say to our work that I am as valuable as my work. I see myself as valuable because of what I do. It's giving you identity and it's giving you value. But you know there's only one place you're supposed to get that. And that's the Lord. Your identity and your value are him, and that's his place. And when you think your career has give, has, is taking the place, it's giving you identity, it's giving you value, you have put work in the place of God. Um, another way to, and then sometimes it's hard to, 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 to find this in our hearts. You've got to dig deep and ask a lot of good questions. A couple of questions you can ask is, first of all, is if I were to lose my career, how would it affect me? And try to be honest with yourself. If I were to lose my career, how would that affect me? And if you know good and well you'd be an emotional tailspin wreck because you've lost your career, you probably are either borderline or over the line of making that an idol. It has too much say in your identity and your value. So find it there. The other question you can ask is this. Do I Sabbath? And if you have a hard time Sabbathing, you are probably moving down the path of your career being an idol in your life. Okay? Now, the Sabbath says this. Work, you are good. You are even good for me, but you are not my God. I am the master of you, not you over me. I can set aside and get away from you and find my identity And find my value and rest my body and my mind in the Lord. Sabbath. Can you Sabbath? These are some indicators just to help. Secondly, we seek work to give us an escape. It is often the case that people immerse themselves into the busyness of work. And the reason why they immerse themselves in the busyness of work is because it drowns out things that they don't want to deal with in their life. Some people who grieve death in their life. Uh, They have a death in their life that's close to them, and they grieve by going and drowning out the noise in work, and that's not a problem. Everybody grieves differently, I'm just saying, but we can also do that with things in our life. Uh, We don't like the Sabbath because we don't want to be still, we don't want to be still with our thoughts. Why? Because silence is threatening to the average American. Silence means I have to deal with things in my heart, I've got to deal with relationships, I've got to deal with things that need to be dealt with, and I need to deal with God, and I don't want to deal with those things. And so busyness is a great source of solace in my life as I just stay in the busyness of it. And so we seek work to give us an escape from the things that we need to really deal with in life. Sabbath may call you to stop and evaluate. And that's threatening sometimes to a lot of people who have made work their idol. We seek seek work to give us security. We make our idol when we, we, we make an idol out of work when it is our source of security. When our jobs become the thing that we look to to provide for me for, so that I can be secure and have what I need in my life. We do not look to our jobs for that, you remember Matthew six? Jesus said, "Hey, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worry of its own." Y'all remember this this whole talk? Do not have anxiety. Don't be anxious. Um, and and what what he's basically saying is is that um, no, you're striving out there and you're striving in life because you think that your labor, your work, the thing that you do, is the way you put clothes on your back and food on your table, and you think that your work is the thing that's going to provide for you and give you security and it's driving anxiety in your heart and it's requiring more and it's giving back less and your heart is driven by a sort of a, a mouse wheel in here and you keep thinking that your job is that type of security for you and he said no 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 seek first the kingdom and his what righteousness and then he says and all these things will be added to or given to you what is that a job <laughs> Your career, God will give you that. God will provide your security. He is your security, not your ability to go produce and your ability to make money and your ability to do it. Now, those things are good, but now you've made them God and you think there's, that's your security and your form of security and you'll say no to the Sabbath and you'll do whatever you can to try to keep it alive. God's your security. He knows the numbers of hair you have on your head. He knows you better than you do. And he knows what you need. And you know what? He'll take a career away to show you it's an idol. And he'll give you another one. And you'll know that my security really is in the Lord who will give all these things. He'll provide. He'll give you what you need. So it's our security. How to Sabbath. I'm going to fly through this. One rest weekly that's the principle of Genesis 2 right why did God create six days and rest one because he needed to rest y'all can answer no why to give us a pattern it says there's one attribute of myself that I'm not communicating to you I'm not transferring to you and that is I'm eternally self-sustaining I need nothing else to keep me alive and he's like you do You need water, you need food, you need relationships around you and you need to sleep every day and you need to sleep good and rejuvenate your body because if you don't sleep, you're gonna destroy your body and you also need to rest one day a week. Rest one day. And he did that pattern one day a week, rest, rest one day a week, why? Because that's how I wired the machine that you're in right now to work best. And if you malfunction that, you're going to burn a wire, you're going to trip something, it ain't going to work right. And you're going to wonder what's wrong. <laughs> well, that's what's wrong. Rest. <laughs> rest one day a week. Secondly, rest physically. Thousands of years, humanity, push, pull, haul, run, all that. There's much more manual labor. And rest physically was the emphasis. And then you needed to rest physically because it's farming, it's ag, it's all that kind of stuff. Well, Um, You need to rest your body. Your body needs to rest. You need to do nothing for one whole day of seven. Nothing. One whole day of seven. Some of you are like, hallelujah. You know? Uh, and, And so you need to rest your body one day in seven. Do you want to know how powerful busyness is in your life? Try to actually do that. Try to actually do nothing one day. This society will guilt you. Your own family will guilt you. You yourself will guilt you. I need to get up and do something. I feel like I'm a lazybones. I gotta go. I gotta go. You try to do nothing one day. Try. Just do it. Rest physically. Second, um, rest physically. Rest mentally. In our society, most of us work, not hauling, pushing, pulling, labor. our agriculture most of us is not manual labor most of us today we sit at a computer or we look at a device or we talk on the phone or we drive in cars to locations and meetings and we communicate a lot but most of our stuff most of us don't need uh we have uh, are not physically manual labor we're not engaged physically in manual labor okay most of us aren't so you know what we have to do to make our bodies feel good exercise in yoga pants We've got to go out there and push our bodies so that we feel better. Why? Because we were made to work. We were made to work, and so exercise is good, and you need to do exercise. So one way we cope with the way our bodies are made when we're not doing what our bodies are made to do, like physical labor, is we exercise to help us be healthy. Your body rewards you when you're doing that. But here's the other thing that you need to learn. In our society, we can rest our body and not really rest from work. You need to figure out for you how you rest your insides. But you need to do it. Let me A jar of water up here. Let me just imagine there's a jar of water up here. A jar about that big and it's half filled with water. And if I take that jar and I slush it around like this and I do that for about five minutes, what's happening to the water on the inside? It begins to spin, right? It goes to spin and it's spinning and it's spinning and it's spinning and it's spinning. And then I get... Oh, you know, six minutes into this, and I rest the jar. What's happening on the inside? It's still spinning. But I rest it for a minute. And then I pick it back up again, and then I do it again. And then what's happening to the inside? It's going again, and I rest the jar. What's happening on the inside? You see, the outside's resting, but the inside isn't. And the challenge in our society is, how do I rest the inside? You need to figure that out. I'm going to give you a couple options you need to put your phone on airplane mode one day. Ooh. I couldn't I can't survive. I couldn't make it. What would I do, right? Try it. I'm going to read a book in a field. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get away. I'm going to go out to the ranch. Some of y'all have ranches and stuff. And I'm going to sit under a tree, and I'm just going to do nothing. And I'm going to pray and just talk about things that God I need to talk about and I'm just going to do nothing and I'm going to get my insides to stop I'm going to think about something else other than what I do at work for me it's college football go Tigers they beat Alabama last night while y'all were watching this unimportant thing in Houston Alabama was getting beat by LSU Tigers all right so rest mentally all right y'all good y'all good on that learn how to rest your insides you need to rest your insides as well as your outside. And last, rest spiritually. What is Hebrews four all about? Hebrews four is all about this. Because of the fall, there's going to be an internal, constant, maybe a low-grade drive in our in us, and it's subconscious and it's part of our it's part of our humanity. We need a relationship with God, and we know that we need one. And we can stuff it, we can gag it, we can tuck it in the closets in our soul and all that stuff. But what will happen is we're driven as humans to think that we have to produce or perform or do something for God to accept us, for God to love us, for God to receive us, for God to stay with us. And this is, this is a, a rat wheel on the inside, and we think that God will accept me if I do certain things, if I serve people certain ways, if I parent well, if I use my tongue right, if I do all, whatever it is. If I do this, it's honorable. I gave to the poor. God accepts me now. And, I'm a, and, and that, that rat wheel is there. And it's there for every human being. That's why you have the world religions the way they are. Because you're, 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 you're satisfying that wheel. Of, I'm going to get right with God. God's going to accept me because of what I do. And he says, nope, there's a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So over here, this rat wheel of me thinking that my performance is going to get God to accept me, he says, you step into a Sabbath called a covenant of grace. You, you just step into it. You don't work into it. That God has done all the work for him to fully accept you. To He can't love you anymore or love you any less. He'll receive you as his child. He will give you his grace, and you have his unconditional, eternal favor and blessing upon your life. And there's nothing you, ha- you can do to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to lose it. You have it, it's in a covenant. And you step into that covenant, and what you have done is you've step in, stepped into the Sabbath of Jesus. You rest. And it should satisfy your soul to where it's like you are resting inside all the days of your life. You are at peace, you have God's favor. And all of the things that you do to perform are out of this, not to get it. So that's what the Hebrew writer is talking about in Hebrews chapter 4, that Jesus came to perform all of this work and do that so that you could just step into the blessing of God and is receive and his favor. And you have it and you have it and you can rest. You don't have to perform for God anymore. Now, receive it and let it change how you live. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you can rest in your soul. And you know what? You're going to, if you came into that, you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the Bible invites you to come into the Sabbath rest of Jesus and have the rest of your soul. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and labor, labor heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. For what? Your soul. I will give you rest for your soul. I did all the turmoil for you, and I will give you rest and security and value and purpose and dignity. All I'll give all that to you. But maybe you're a Christian. You've come into that rest, but you need to keep constant reminder of what that that's true for you, because you got out there and on a Tuesday and a Wednesday you started thinking the wheels started turning. You started thinking God accepts you because of something you've done, right? And and that God will keep you now because of something you've done. You go whoa 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 no 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 I need to stop. I need to go back to church. I need to put her parentheses in my life. I need to hear the word of God and I need to hear his acceptance to hear his love that there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. I am eternally received in him. I am his. I want my soul to be satisfied in the worship of God's people. I want the encouragement of the fellowship and I am Sabbathing today to get my soul satisfied so that this week when I go out to work and do a part of this thing that God's made me to do, I can receive all the benefits of a person who's centered in the right things. Okay, so that's why we hear it this morning, amen? Get your soul satisfied. Hear God tell you that he loves you, no matter what you've done. he, He loves you, he'll forgive you, he'll guide you, he'll change you. It's all there. It's all there in the covenant of grace in Christ Jesus, and you can have it this morning. And let's stay in that Sabbath rest, amen? All right, that's all I had to say, and I know I went late. Y'all just got it all, all right? Come back next week, we're going to talk about work ethic. How should we work? What does it mean to work heartily for the Lord and not for men? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and that, Lord, we still our souls and we open ourselves to you and your word satisfies deeply in our souls. And, Lord, we'll be people at work tomorrow who because of our countenance and our having been with you will be light. We worship you and we give you praise. Take this time of response in this song and do business with us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.